Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 1420 The Watch Clicker Podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend, Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? You know, I'm good. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got snow in my front yard. We Yeah, mine too. It, you didn't have it shipped in. It, it landed here. It, it did it did land here yeah uh, organically as it were uh that's weird snow weeks are always weird man it's it's like mentally speaking hard for me to get like in the flow of like anything tedious or professional um you, you know the and the kids are home because of winter break but it's also like additionally break feeling so yeah uh i'm i'm doing fine even though everything feels Everything's just off. We're not Weird. we're not accustomed to snow here in the upper left. Yeah, uh, at least the area of the upper left that we're in, and uh, it it puts a it just put, it it changes the dynamics of everything. Nothing's yeah. different. This is my normal weekend. My kids would normally be home, but I'm also going crazy. It's worse than rain. Well, it's totally. I mean, rain doesn't really change how I how I operate, but snow definitely does. Right? Yeah. Fortunately, today, so so, it is now Tuesday. We're recording on Tuesday, as we do, pretty consistently. We used to move it around a lot. We're much more consistently Tuesday. Now. I think because we're lazier on Sundays and Mondays. Yeah. We're, we've procrastinated. <laughs> By the time we're recording on Tuesday, I've called out sick from work a few times to record on Wednesday. Right. But <laughs> uh, yeah. So so snow happened on Saturday night. Yeah, so, some Friday and then it, Saturday night was when we got the the real heavy coverage. And when we say heavy coverage, I think it was between four to six inches. Eight point two is the final count over the weekend. Y- yeah, so so like four to six that first night, and then you know Sunday was a joyful snow day with the kids and snowmen, and then kind of got a little melty, you know, through the day as it does, and then came another two or three inches, depending on where you were on sunday night and so monday everybody was returning to work but it was pretty it was pretty bad i didn't go into the office in fact we told our employees not to go in just because the risk is sort of unreasonably high for the amount of benefit you know we can only kind of work from home so it's like just stay home do what needs to get done and just kind of chill enjoy the day it's the um, week between Christmas and New Year's anyway. Like, what yeah. were you actually going to get done? The courts weren't really open. Um, you, you know, it's like, okay, everybody chill. Stay home. This is a fun snow day. Uh, but today, kind of all systems go again. I had court this morning, and uh, I was nervous. I was nervous leaving the house because I, you know, drive famously, I think at this point, a very, mm-hmm. very heavy V8 rear-wheel drive car. Break right through the mud, right through the snow, through the ice, and get right to that <laughs> pavement. And, and actually, that's not that. Sadly, that's not how it works. Um, with that said, everything was fine. I got off our little narrow street onto the onto the main thoroughfares, and everything was fine. It was snowing when I was driving to work, and I was thinking, "Oh, this is bad." And it, in fact, some of it was sticking. The bridges were still a little slippery, but um, by you know, by the time I was out of court, you know, close to lunchtime, it was like totally fine. And now we're completely through it, I'd say. Yeah, primary roads are totally safe to travel. E- even even our <clears throat> even our street that has, you know, four or five cars on it per day is... Yeah. Trash totally, trucks came through today. Totally clear. Yeah. Totally fine, clear, everything's totally fine. So back to normal, I guess, for better or worse. Yeah. 
uh, even though mentally I'm not quite there yet. Now it's because we're still looking out and seeing snow covered everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, other than that, good. Uh, ha- I've had a successful like two weeks of court appearances. Um, won the cases I need to won, win, uh, settled the cases that I wanted to settle. Like it was just like everything's sort of going the way it should, it's which is banging on all cylinders. Yeah. Yeah. Banging on all. It's, it's a little, it's a little boring, right? It's, it's more <laughs> exciting. My job I'm just is, so fucking good. I'm just like <laughs> bored of this. My job is more exciting when shit's going wrong. Uh, which is not to say I want that, but it can be a little bit more exhilarating from day to day. I'm just going to start going into your office and stealing briefs. Yeah, and then that's going to... Please do not do that. I will get disbarred. Uh, Andrew, how are you would doing? you get disbarred? You're not doing anything wrong. You know, security of files. but Burglaries, that uh, happens. <laughs> it, it, it has happened. <laughs> Andrew, how are you? Good. You know, how is the same snow day experience, but uh, yeah, I'm just worn out. I think that this, I don't know what it is about snow being on the ground. It just turns kids into wild animals Mm -hmm. because it could be raining and I would be in a very different position. Although I would have also spent the last three days at home inside my house with my kids. They just go bananas when there's snow on the ground. Yeah. I think there's like some frenetic energy and just everything's just different enough that it sort of gets them out of any sense of routine. And so there's a real thing there. Yeah, so just a little bit of a crazy weekend, but other than that, good. Just, you know, we're doing a, we're trying to plan out the next like two years of vacations Mm -hmm. because that's something we're not good at is making time to take trips. Mm -hmm. So this year we're going to, we're going to have an executive retreat. We're going to leave our kids with our parents and we're going to stay at a hotel for like a night and a day. And do like a full two years of planning of like just all the shit that you need to plan in life mm-hmm. for our our executives retreat. And um, but tonight we were doing some vacation spitballing and trying to figure out what we want to do for the next couple of years, which is fun. It's fun to like think about all the things that you want to do. It's less fun to look at how much those things would cost. Yeah. And as an example, uh, I really would like to do a interior of Alaska, not obviously the interior of Alaska, but the interior cruise trip. Mm-hmm. And we wanted it. We were talking about a Disney cruise because we we're going to take kids. Disney cruises are not cheap, <clears throat> and they're not cheap relative to other cruise lines. Uh, out of like Galveston to go to the Caribbean, it's like five thousand dollars for a six night cruise for, for the, the family of four. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Dis- that's probably twice that much for for Disney Alaska. Y- yeah. Yeah, that's that was. I was going to estimate ten to twelve. Yeah, so the the concierge rooms on the on the Caribbean treks are like twelve thousand mm-hmm. for the family of four. It's forty thousand dollars for the Alaska trek, it's, and I don't fully understand why. I mean, I think it's probably partially supply and demand. You, the, you know. It's there, but, but I mean, there's a lot more people cruising south, and I get that. And and as a non-tropic enjoying person, I I, I understand that there will be like one vacation a decade for me. I was just hoping that this would be the one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could do that. I mean, that's that's in the range of of something. $40,000? Oh, no. 40000 is not in the range of what you could do. I don't think. I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you what you can't do. I shouldn't do that. No. You like you as my friend, like not a financial <laughs> advisor, should be like, hey, man, you shouldn't do that. I know where you live. I know generally what you make, and that would be an irresponsible decision. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if it would be irresponsible. I just think you could get the same amount of joy for 
a lot less money. Yeah, I, I think I'd get more joy, arguably, and less COVID just going to like a resort in yeah. Alaska. Yeah. But yeah, so that was our night. We just, you know, we, we finally got the kids to go away and go to sleep and then started looking at vacations and it's fun. I like going on vacation. Yeah, I want to go on vacation. I want to go somewhere warm right now. Fuck this I, I really want to go warm places in February. I've got to start making that a uh, priority that we go somewhere warm in February. This is my jam. This weather, I could do this six months out of the year. Just like, I'd write, I'd prefer a little colder. Um, like 20 to 30 degrees is like my, that's my happy place. You know what I realized my happy place is? I, I, this 75 is a, and sunny. This is a realization I made I really recently, but I was sort of like thinking about like if I could have a once a year or even twice a year vacation, what is the thing? You know, if I was vacationing twice a year, I'd go do all sorts of crazy stuff. But if I could distill it down to one thing that I'd really like to have, like you you have to make choices. You get one thing. One spot. Not one spot. One thing. Okay. I think the thing I wanted. Swim up bar. Is a swim up bar. <laughs> God, my man. <laughs> I want a swim up bar. I, and and that is really boring. And judge me at home if you want. But that is the my favorite thing when, when I go to Mexico or Hawaii. I love to get in the pool, be in some swim trunks, looking at boobies. Yeah. And drinking beer at a swim up bar. Safely with consent looking at boobies. I don't know if you can look at boobies with consent. You got sunglasses on. It's, it's that's right. like... <laughs> <laughs> Not anything over overtly uh, inappropriate. I have exceptionally dark shaded sunglasses, <laughs> and they're also reflective. Ain't no way you can see where I'm looking. Uh, and my perifs are good. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, as much as I think we could do a non-vacationers guide to vacationing podcast, we are here today to talk about watches we've got yeah. a full episode we do we we've burned 10 minutes god we, yeah i'm sorry, sorry guys, you guys. <laughs> that's, that's thank you for your we, patience that's the most consistent criticism of our shows they waste six to ten minutes of the beginning of every episode on bullshit uh sorry you, you're coming here to drink and hang out with us sure you this are. is what you get crack a beer have some legoblin and or a glass of milk Why let's not? roll yeah let's roll we're talking about watches. We're going to do, we're sort of going to continue our theme of kind of rolling with it. We were a little bit more topical this week than we mm-hmm. were last week. We're going to talk about some interesting stuff that we saw in the watch world. You know, this is sort of a dead zone for new watch releases. Yeah. Right now. We're not getting a lot of stuff from the players. Mm-hmm. Um, micro brand releases seem to be a little bit lowly. Uh, so people, people are disinclined to come on for interviews when they're on holiday. Right. <laughs> Uh, so, so watch, watch news as it were is a little skinny right now and that's okay. Uh, I feel bad for the, for the folks that actually have to produce content because it seems like it might be a struggle. They're doing uh, the same shit we are, but they're just talking about a, a lady colored watch. I don't understand why she got a color, but <laughs> there, there's a lot of like King James is wearing one. The nice thing about this part of the year is there's a lot of opportunity for Best articles of the year, best mm-hmm. our favorite watch releases of the year, um, and, and of course we could do that, and we we have done many iterations of that. But mm-hmm. um, this week we're going to talk about, amongst other things, kind of what our expectations are and our hopes and our dreams for twenty twenty two. Yeah, twenty twenty two and sort of infinity and beyond, right? Like 
2022 trends and and mm-hmm. maybe you know 2023 etc so um start maybe maybe we can talk about some stuff that we did read you Ooh, i you read s- a super fun article you sent me a fun article um i've so i really a, liked it i hadn't read it yet it's a it's an old article it's not new it's from may of this year i think it got re-released yeah um, a hodinky article it's a hodinky article uh it's an interview written piece the full story of the pulp fiction watch and and everyone knows the watch that i'm talking about everyone can imagine it in their head nobody's imagining the same watch as i am because you get this kind of brief glimpse at this watch but this watch creates this idea and it's kind of the idea that i carry with me in watch collecting by the time i buy it i'm i'm not ever going to sell it and i'm willing to store it within me in order to keep it safe (laughs) Why I like small watches, just <laughs> for the record. Uh, but so, um, John Buse. John Buse, yeah. Uh, uh, he sat down really with the um, fun guy. Uh, with the prop master from Pulp Fiction and learned the story of the acquisition of the watch and then the disposition of the watch. And it's just, it's a fun article that talks about the kind of the ins and outs, like this very culty, very weird community that exists around Pulp Fiction. And the whole article is from this prop master who's like, yeah, I went and spent, I don't know, 20 bucks on this watch at a, at a pawn shop. And then Bruce Willis was like, I want to spindle on it or a, a, Spidel, a yeah. Spidel on it. And a uh, twist flex. Yeah. He wants a twist flex. Cause for some reason, Bruce Willis, that's the watch that's the brace that he liked on his watches at the time. Yeah. I think, I think that maybe it was a, it was a, th- I think he thought that that was the, what Bruce, uh, what Butch would wear. I think that he maybe, thought yeah. Butch, Butch would wear a twist. And, and it's Wait, a really yeah. genius decision. It's one of those things that I only appreciate as a watch guy. Um, I, I'm sure before I was a quote unquote watch guy, I didn't really appreciate it. That was just, I remember distinctly, thinking that's that weird bracelet that my dad wears on his shitty Fred Meyer watch. I even before I was a watch guy, it occurred to me that's that same bracelet my dad wears on all of his shitty department store watches. I'd pay almost I mean I'd pay an unreasonable amount of money for a box of those ranging in size. And Butch is my dad. And yeah. Butch is I mean like in in many many respects. Probably not fully. But not it, fully, but in many respects. Like the guy Butch was, I mean, my yeah. dad's not anywhere near as tough or as badass or as noble as Butch was, but in many respects, <laughs> the same good thing. Just our moms listen. <laughs> the same guy. I love you, dad. If you're listening, you're not. And that's okay. You, you know, it, it's like such a clear, it's such an obvious, but poignant and well thought out detail. Yeah. And, and, and a, kind of an unusually well thought, thought out detail for, I think it's just, I think it was just, just, uh, the word I'm looking for is, is escaping me. Great coincidence that it's this really cool, like, orological thing within the, uh, within the movie. And that movie, there, there's, there's still message boards and forums and Reddit lines discussing and arguing the movie of Pulp Fiction. I mean, there are people who think that the movie shouldn't exist because John Travolta was actually dead. 
Yeah. <laughs> during the entire movie because of the suit color he was wearing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. There, there's some there's some conspiracy theories around this movie because it's not it's not linear. It's a really int- I mean you guys have seen Pulp Fiction. You know what I'm talking about. It's phenomenal. So the prop master, a guy named John yeah. John Hodges. Yeah. This fellow who has worked on a ton of shit. Um, you know, kind of a kind of a one of these famous prop master guys. Um, really sort of in a almost almost but not quite disappointing manner demystifies the watch and and he says several times in this interview you know this was before this was before the internet yeah you couldn't just look shit up you know i remember aol chat rooms at the time and yeah you, you know that's that was the world that people lived in you know this watch if it was in a movie today would instantly be identified and criticized you know i'm thinking of uh, Brad Pitt's watch in the, the oh, and Fury. No, no, the the gold uh, citizen chronograph, bullhead chronograph. Oh um, yeah. Anyway, you know that watch. Like the month that movie comes out, people are like, that watch didn't come out until ten years after yeah. this movie, the setting of this movie, or whatever the time period was. You, you know. The, meanwhile, there's whole Instagram people with hundreds of thousands of followers whose only function is to identify the watch on the on the wrist of a celebrity that's right but yeah so the internet's not there they choose it it's this it's this weird like it's not meaningful that's kind of the sad part about the the prop decision it's just it's just a watch so he found it a pawn shop for like 20 bucks right and butch risked his life for it but that's kind of what's beautiful about it is that watch was that's what it meant to him because you know it lived in somebody's keister and so what we do know, it's a Lancet trench watch, pretty mm-hmm. small, round pocket watch form factor with with brazed or, or soldered wire lugs. Mm-hmm. And he just loved the whole aesthetic of it. And and it, it's such a non-watch guy decision, um, which I think should be disappointing uh, or, or I'm inclined to want to be disappointed, but the, but I'm just not. I find yeah. the, whole, the whole story of this thing charming. It looked right. And so they went with it, and that was okay in whatever, 1990. Whenever it came out, whenever. eight or whatever. Might yeah. have been later than that. Yeah, I think it was earlier yeah. than that. In, in any event, it, it's like how we chose props before the internet assholes yeah. gained power. Before Neckbeard ruined it. Right. <laughs> and Quentin Tarantino has the watch, or had the watch after production. Yeah, that's so right. should should they ever do an Al Capone style uh, divestment of Quentin Tarantino's estate? I will pay. How much do you think that watch would go for? I don't know. Pulp Fiction's got a weird following. Either either a hundred bucks or no. or fifty thousand. <laughs> like, yeah, like there's I'm no thinking, in between. I'm thinking fifty thousand is the is the floor on that. You know, it's it's one of the most famous watches in the world. It's not it's not a Newman Daytona. Right in terms of, in terms of where, where there's actual yeah. quality qualities as a watch, it's probably a junker. Right, probably yeah. has a shitty movement. It's probably barely working. It probably doesn't work. The prop master says yeah. it's almost certainly not actual gold. He thinks it's plated. Yeah, um, if, but he didn't know because he was like, I don't know. Fucking here's this watch, Bruce. So it's a shitty watch. With that <coughs> said, it's probably one of the you know ten most famous watches. Certainly in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, it has a whole monologue dedicated right. to it. That's why this article was fun. I mean, this yeah. is, that's a, like an important, I think that scene is an important 
part of virology and, and a part of like the modern watch zeitgeist. And in reality, that watch doesn't mean shit. So what's next? You sent me this three watch collection here. Um, and and I think it's interesting. Uh, but I, I, I kind of I'm curious to hear. So so just to set this up, uh, Warren and Wound has done several of these reader edition X watch collections mm-hmm. for X dollars. Um, this is a three watch for $5,000, which I can't believe I'm going to say this, but seems like a pretty reasonable number to me where I sit now. Um, it's, it's, it's more money than, I mean, it's, it's more money than I have certainly spent on multiple watches, but it doesn't seem like a crazy number. No, no, no. So what I liked about it was it was very similar to our watches, like our four Rolexes for the price of a Rolex episode. And that's kind of what I got from this. A three watch collection for $5,000. You're not going to get a Rolex for $5,000. And so this is from a Warner Brown mm-hmm. reader, Eric Shen, uh, at Instagram, at the watch goodie bag. And he sort of came up with this collection. Um, this is came out on Christmas Eve. It's on Warner and Wound. Uh, it take, take me through this. So I, I was intrigued by the choices he made because I, I felt like it was very much the choices that we would make similar yeah very similar now there's one kind of flyer but he starts with the grand seiko it's the best flyer yeah right it's it's a watch i'd never pick and that was kind of what fascinated me about this i was like yep nope yep and i kind of scrolled back up and i was like maybe yeah though with yeah. what else you're working with? So he starts at the Grand Seiko SBGX two six one, ringing it at twenty two hundred bucks. And I th- and I think Grand Seiko in the I think Grand Seiko gets lost, and I and I don't I don't fully understand why because Grand Seiko has a huge line ranging from we're air quoting affordable here. You know we've got that two thousand dollar range to you know Panium. Yeah, I don't think two thousand dollar nine F quartz, which is what they mm-hmm. picked. So this is the what SBGX. Yeah, the, the SBGX uh, two six one. So you got the nine F quartz. You're getting. You're gonna. You're gonna need more for some spring drive. Yeah, a but, lot. But the finishing on these Grand Seiko watches is is some next level business. Andrew, I'm going to stop you. I, Because I, I, I don't understand what just happened. This beer is so good. What is this? McKenzie Brewing Company, which is a tiny, tiny, shitty little brewery in Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. So you will you will not be You'll able not to find, find this. You might not even find it out of Lane County. Yeah. Henry, you can find this. Uh, everybody else who listens to us, you won't be able to find it. It's at Walmart right now, Henry. It's called... <laughs> It's called the Heat Miser Winter Ale. It's a it's a big beer, seven point eight percent. It doesn't drink like it though. It does not. It this is delightful. Yeah, it's it's very much uh, like that hoppy, wintry red kind of drinks like a like not quite an IPA, but north of a pale, really full bodied kind of brown, ambery flavors. Really, really dark chocolatey. Dark chocolate. Yeah. Yes, that's mm-hmm. what I'm picking up. Dark chocolate. I'm picking up. A, yeah. Okay. Anyway, carry on. Grand Seiko gets lost. Grand Seiko gets lost. I think we talk about affordables and I think we get, you know, north into like the Monta range. And then we skip this whole segment of Grand Seiko to move on into Tudors and we move on into, and I think, you know, Tudor and Grand Seiko, but I don't think they ever really get compared. But, you know, that tracks with other watches in that range. You know, Monta, for instance, Monta, 
uh, nor Kane. Uh, this that is the segment I think right now that's providing us some of the most interesting mm-hmm. orology. And Grand Seiko's the probably the biggest sort of non-Swiss entity in that space right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, just a weird is. it's just a weird segment. It's a weird segment, but it's, it's also too much for yeah. a, it's too much for an average Joe. Sorry to inter- interrupt you. It's too much for an average Joe, but not uh but not enough for the guy with with too much money and doesn't know what to do with. Yeah, he's it's not enough for the guy who who wants to buy a Rolex and and has, you know, the the 5 grand to pay MSRP for a Rolex and and gets, you know, Rolex second hand. It's just it's a weird segment. I think Grand Seiko's really overlooked in this. I want to buy my first kind of expensive watch. And and I think I think that's a reasonable price point to buy your first expensive watch that two thousand to three thousand dollars you're looking at you know there's there's a, a dozen brands that have that there, and I think Grand Seiko gets often forgotten about in that conversation so big sport big Grand Seiko sport watch with the nine f quartz yep dig it dig it that's the one that's that's what he's calling the everyday I'm gonna skip number two to go on to number three. We have the Casio G shock GWN fifty six ten dash one shocking hundred bucks it's the watch it's, this is the yeah. watch yeah fifty six thousand yeah. dollar collection of a fifty six ten four hundred dollar collection of a fifty six ten yeah it's the fucking watch man. it's everyone should have one also you can buy the the ten dollar reducers and put any any strap you want on it I wear mine on the Haviston general service Pfft, looks money. killer looks killer here's the one that kind of threw me it and took you a minute it took you it, a minute it grew on me okay right? it was one of those slow burns like let me go back to it a second time like okay Okay, I'm starting to feel it. The Oris Artillier Grand Loon. Or Artillier Grand Loon. Grandy? <laughs> so I, he, I believe it's pronounced Grande. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, duh. Grande. <laughs> he says every three-watch collection needs a dress watch, and this 36-millimeter timepiece from Oris is perfect to fill the role. Now, when I first saw it, I didn't realize it was 36, and I was also kind of like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you, you see that bracelet. It's got like a beads of rice bracelet. Yeah. It's like, this is going to be 42 millimeter. It's not a dress watch. Yeah, it's got the, yeah, the flat beads of rice. It's got a, it's got a sun-moon complication. Uh, I'm just like, meh, whatever. And I go back to read it, and I'd never seen this watch. And I look at this watch, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, Actually, I really like this. I don't know if it's the watch for me, but I really like it. It's the kind of thing that I would like look at, like with my phone obscured from other people's view, kind of thing, or like make sure that the volume's all the way down to look at pictures of it because it's it's that kind of guilty pleasure watch. It's something I would never wear, could never wear. I think I'd feel self conscious wearing something like that, just because uh, of the sun moon, yeah. I, I mean, complication, but God, it's beautiful. It's and it's a thirty. Yeah. It's it's yeah, decadence. The right word, just luxurious goodness. This and, thing would look killer on black croc. Oh yeah, like a really fucking shiny. Yep, reflect the light. Super croc. stiff, yep. like almost can't bend it around your wrist. Black croc. Yep, no. just one hole long enough to get it under the second keeper. Yeah. Yeah, so I I, just, I thought it was a fun uh, interpretation of the three watches for five thousand, uh, and I thought he picked bangers for the prices. Yeah, it, it's it's. A, I think this is kind of an interesting approach to a three watch. Uh, it's the right approach, though. 
Well, there's no right or wrong, but it's it's well, no, there's wrong. There's wrong approaches. <laughs> but this is, I mean, you need a banger. You need a, you need something that you're able to swing a hammer in and not be like, oh gosh. You, you know, I was reading this. You 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 sent this to me earlier, and I was reading through it, and I thought, you know, Oris is what non-watch people think Tiso is. Yeah, Oris is actually that fucking brand. Mm-hmm. It's they're sick. They're high quality. They're almost uh, more so than any mid-tier Swiss company. Nailing dimensions, nailing details. And never mind innovation. They're one of the few Swiss brands who's really, like Swiss affordables, who's really, really innovating. Not owning an Oris, I have (laughs) in the last year become an Oris fanboy. I won't go that far. I think it really happened at Wind Up. Like seeing, you you know, Oris, we've talked about this on the show, but Oris, you know, just brings, they bring the whole goddamn catalog. And like hanging out at that Oris table, I was like, this brand, this is the goods, man. This is good. AJ Barce, if you're listening, shout out to you. This is the goods. All right. Hopes and dreams. Do you have anything you want to talk about from this week? No, no. I, I actually really loved. So I had I had independently seen that uh, that uh, Pulp Fiction article, but yeah, no. Um, I'm totally happy with that. Okay, let's talk about our hopes and dreams because we got some. Yeah, and this is it's the end of the year. If, as you're listening to this, I believe it's 2022. Uh, oh nope, you're gonna. It's not it, yet. <laughs> it's not yet so you can also join us in our hoping and dreaming for 2022 we're getting really close though you guys yeah the the end is nigh tomorrow is christmas eve for you as you listen not for us new year's eve we're not drunk you guys we've just started (coughs) i'm not focused (laughs) focus man i see christmas lights it's snowing i still want christmas so we did the thing where we sort of exchanged ideas about what we wanted to talk about. I think you're generally a little bit more specific than I am. Which is um, fine. I just had, I, I was trying to sell you this idea yeah, yeah. of why I wanted it to, why I wanted to talk about it. And I loved it. You you got me there. You got me there. So I'm I, known for that. I think I'd like to start with something kind of specific. The one mm. sort of specific thing that I have hopes and dreams for. Perhaps not. Perhaps 2022 is unrealistic, but I'm excited about what we know is going to happen in 2022, and I'm excited for what that means moving forward. So um, the reason this has been on my mind is um, talking to some microbrand folks. I understand that several microbrands are going to release watches in 2022 that utilize the FTS, or I think it's fine timepieces, the makers of the AmeriCorps movement. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, is it the McDowell time or is it the... No, so... so that's another brand. It, that's, a, that's another brand. So there's, there's a company called FTS USA, and they make uh, an AmeriCorps, which is an American-made quartz movement that's showed up in tons of watches um in the last in the last Wal- waldan mm-hmm. um minuteman watches many many brands are using the americorts Bayer is using americorts it's a american-made quartz movement uh that same company is now uh selling a 
movement that they're referring to as the Americron, mm-hmm. which is a mechanical three-hand automatic. You can get it with date, no date, and an open heart, 7A20, 7A21, and 7A0. Uh, this is, as far as I know, an original design, or at least, you, you know, has enough variation on existing designs to be called original. It's a 28,000, 28,800 beats per hour movement. Pretty average accuracy, minus 10 to plus 30, 40 hours of power reserve. Uh, I think uh, they're saying greater than 250 degrees amplitude. Um, you know, this is, it's a really basic movement. They're not cheap. Mm-hmm. They're priced higher than a Miyota 9000 and less than a Salita. So this is sort of a mid-range microbrand movement is what this is. Mm-hmm. They're built in the USA at this point and and not made in the USA. And I've got my finger quotes up when I say that. Um, I think that they're making, I think that they're partnered with Tata out of India. And so Tata is manufacturing some of the parts, if not most of the parts. But I believe the goal on the Americron is to eventually have manufacturing in the United States. There's also another company. uh, There's also another company. I think it is the Maryland Watchworks out of Hagerstown Mm -hmm. that's got a... at a 2824 clone that they're fully assembling with Swiss parts in Maryland and Hagerstown. So in this last year and a half, we've seen two companies really sort of leaning into this. Um, If, if uh, FTS is able to get the American made label, it will be the first production American movement in like 50 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think since Bulova. Yeah. Uh, Bulova? Uh, it'd probably be Hamilton. W- w- one yeah. of those two. When it, so it's been 50 years since we've had a production in America. You know, there's RGM or RM, RMG, RGM, uh, and, and, and then also Cameron Weiss. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're doing a different thing. This is a production American. Anyway, the point being. There's also that guy in Seattle. I've got hopes and dreams for a return to production American watchmaking. And it seems to me like we're on the precipice. Now, this may fizzle. I don't know. But if we've got a $90, that's that's what I'm hearing right now, $90 per unit for a run of Americron movements. If they can continue that with American manufacturing, even if that goes up, say... 20 percent that's a totally viable that's a totally viable micro brand movement now a hundred dollars for a movement's not uh you're not going to see like truly affordable entry-level watches but thousand dollar watches absolutely oh yeah absolutely i think the problem is with when then you run into for, for the american specific watch market we just don't have the um the density of production for all the other components. But if we're... If we've got movements, though, then it could draw... Everything, everything follows from movements. Yeah. That's right. That that's If if you want to make an American-made movement today, it is... Or an American-made watch today, excuse me, 
It's impossible. Yeah. If I have a movement, I can make a crown. Yeah. Give me one of those mini lathes. I'll do it. Right. It's not going <laughs> to look good. It sure won't, but it'll do it. That's right. I, I mean, we're we're really right there. And the, the final piece is, you know, I think like hairsprings and rubies and those, but there's maybe something else. But too. rubies are easy. I mean, I mean, those are easy theoretically, but we're still not able to do that today. From what I can, from what I can tell, I think it's a cost thing. Yeah, it's just not viable market because it's so affordable other places. So ninety bucks, ninety bucks cost on these movements. I'd say our threshold is probably 160 percent of that before this is a before this becomes something that's not realistic for a micro brand watch. And and a hundred and fifty dollar movement, yeah, to a manufacturer is a three hundred dollar movement to you, and that's before you get hands. That's before you get anything crystal, else. That's just movement dial case. So hundred and fifty is three hundred to you, plus a watch. Yeah. You're you're looking at you know floor of probably about eight hundred bucks on this watch, mm-hmm. if it could happen. And I'm making this number up. I made 150 up. It's $90. What I understand is people are paying 90 bucks for this watch. But for the eight to thousand, like eight hundred to thousand dollar range, it's there for all American made. If they could get there, it's there. So I'm excited. That's, That's my exciting. first hope and dream. What about you? You know, my first hope and dream. Tell me. I hope our supply chain gets sorted out this year. You mean the general? Yeah. Just I. I hope that we're not running into the. Well, eventually we're going to get our shit anymore. I want to see supply chain stabilization, not just in in supply chain shipping. I want to see watch brands yeah. be a little bit more responsible with their supply chain management. I don't want to see a big drop in March and then ghost until September. Yeah, And well, I know it's expensive. I know it's expensive, but owning a brand is expensive. I, I can tell you I've got firsthand experience with, with a brand new micro brand startup and it has taken 150 days roughly for this brand to get a prototype and for 45 of those days there have been pictures of most of the watch and the prototype is still not finished so there is something happening Mm -hmm. not just to this brand to all micro brands where things coming out of China are happening extremely slowly right now. And we're coming into the time of year where it's going to hit the brakes. It's going to get worse. For another fucking quarter, for a fiscal quarter. It's going to get and worse. It, and and I, I want to see, part of that I understand is COVID, but I, I want to see brands get a little bit more nimble and, and deliberate in their, in their supply chain management. You know, I, I think... I, I understand that there's a significant investment in sitting on inventory. Sitting on inventory is very expensive. But if I can only buy your watch twice a year within 48 hours or less of it being released, that's bothersome to me. And I hope, I just want to see some stabilization of that. Yeah. And and I think we're starting to see some of that happen, right? Yeah. We're seeing brands like Laurier. Yep. Uh, with stable inventory starting to have stable Im- mm-hmm. inventory mostly I mean, not all the not all the offerings not every SKU is stable but, but other brands traska brew can't make watches fast enough so yeah. these this you know the the downside to w- what we all love about micro brands which is i can get it 
Well, I think I think what I love about microbrands is that they do interesting things. Mm-hmm. Microbrands are by and large doing interesting things. The downside to that, I think, is undercapitalization, right? Mm-hmm. Christopher Ward can make 4,000 watches. And afford to sit on 3,000 of them. And afford, yeah, I, hopefully they're not sitting on that many. But, but they um, could, and they can. Yeah. And I understand Traska can't do that. I understand Brew can't do that. But to sit on 50 seems reasonable. You, you know, I was looking at Christopher Ward's website one day and just sort of trying to play with the numbers. And I estimate that at any given time, they've got between a million and $3 million in stock. Yeah. So, you, you know, if, if like, if I want Jason Lynn to be able to provide me four watches or five watches at once, that means Jason Lynn probably needs to have half a million to a million dollars of floating capital mm-hmm. in his business. And, and I'm not sure that that's realistic for most of these companies. No, 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 no. I, and I, I fully recognize that it is not. But there's got to be some, there, there's a trade-off there. I want to be able to buy your watches more than twice a year. And I think what's really chapped me about this has been the Smith's releases. And, and with that, I've gone to buy a couple other analogs that are just not available. And they haven't been available for months, and they won't be available until spring. You, it's it's hard to manage a brand two days a year. Yeah, you know, the, it's an interesting it's an interesting sort of dynamic too, because I think it's like flying a plane, right? Where if you turn left, you, your plane wants to use slow down, and you lose elevation, and so you've got to increase your speed, or you've got to you know increase the pointy uppy. Uh, aspect of your flying. It's called pitch. That's what that's the word I was looking for. You know, you've got to change other things, right? And and, and I I think <laughs> making watches has maybe got some you know we hear we, me and you hear often a criticism of a brand like Laurier, which mm-hmm. is that they have well, they only have one watch. I hear that often. That's fucking stupid. Well, well okay, so hold on. It, it's a reasonable criticism. It's it's a reasonable criticism. Their watches are very similar. They're cousins, siblings even. That's right. And they are not introducing two different new watches per year. But what they have done is they've created five or six really excellent watches that basically you can get anytime you want now. Mm-hmm. So they've controlled their they've controlled their ordering, they've controlled their development to a point where now they have set inventory, and to the extent that they are able to, they can they have can conservative an, growth and development. And, and an LE release, I mean, that's a big move. So which this isn't is possible a, without stability. You know what? A four or five year old company at this point, maybe six, maybe, and. They're now at the point where I think that we can start to see them, if to the extent they want, you, you know, mm-hmm. spread their wings a little bit more. I, I do think that the criticism that they only have watches is wrong in several really important respects. Yes. With, with that said, it, it, there is some truth to those criticisms as any criticism. And it's a trade-off, right? If If a brand is going to make two completely brand new different watches every year the watch from 2019 that you really want 
is probably not going to be available to It's you. never going to come back. And there's no brand identity. There's no design language. We don't want more Invictas popping up. Invicta is just fine as it is. It doesn't need competition. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, I want to start a watch company and I want to compete with Invicta. Yeah, I have 7,000 SKUs. <laughs> I, you know, I, I want companies like Laurier to exist where they've got five flagships. I like the LE that they did. I'd like to see them infuse those flagships with the occasional, not maybe not full limited, but hey, we're going to do 500 of these. Our full inventory is still available. We're going to do, you know, a fixed number of these, or we're going to pre-order this watch and we're going to do it once. You know, Nick Harris said something to me once, and I'm going to segue straight into my next hope and dream here. Nick Harris said something to me once. Nick Harris of Orion Watches. Oh, name dropping. (laughs) You know, I was hanging out. I was hanging out with my homie Nick. We were in a Facebook live chat. And he said, you know, the world doesn't need more watches. What the world needs, what the watch world needs, I think is what he meant, is more truly passionate and inspired design yes and that it struck me it struck me for several reasons some of which i'm not going to talk about today but it struck me because i think that we as enthusiasts get lost in the sauce sometimes we criticize laurier for not having enough design things happening and invicta for having too many we criticize invicta for having too many at the end of the day we don't need anything else. We we want more things, and and God bless you. Uh, I want more watches. Me too. But I want more good watches. I want more good watches. So my next hope and dream. This is kind of a two parter. Is that okay if I just sort you can of, you can double prong it? Yeah, yeah. So my next hope and dream is for some. Tr- I, I want this. Maybe is not a twenty twenty two dream. I want to see a return to the 70s era of really solid capital D design in watches. Um, I wrote down I wrote down a couple of, of examples here to to um, I'll segue while you think. I, I agree with that. Not segue. I will, I will add on while you think. <laughs> I agree with that. I like the brands that show up that say, you know, I just wanted the watch that I was going to like. The problem that I kind of universally have with that, though, is liking something and having ideas about what's going to look good isn't good sound design. It might work from time to time, but it isn't sound design that incorporates the whole scope of design continue yeah well no i think that that's i think that you you've nailed it right um the the i think that the problem we're seeing to the extent there's a problem right this is this is sort of you know uh first world problems as it were the problem we're seeing in watches right now is this fracturing or this democratization mm-hmm. uh, term I've used on the show a number of times by only un- convinced Mike France to use right <laughs> but that's true uh, by unqualified by unqualified experts right 
that is self-proclaimed experts, unqualified self-proclaimed experts. I'm going to include that word. I think it's important. That's both joyful and uh, difficult, right? Watch design is not science, right? We're not talking about epidemiology. We're talking about something that is inherently subjective. Mm -hmm. With that said, there's a reason that everybody knows the name Gerald Genta. Yep. And, and that's important. That's important. And I don't know that we're seeing that happening in watches right now. So I'm going to make a pitch. This is a purely hypothetical pitch. I'm not sure I actually want this thing to happen. The second coming of Gerald. But for instance, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make any crazy statements like that. Okay. You, the thing you just said is crazy in light of the thing I'm about to say. Okay. Jason Lemon Halios. Yeah. Is a truly and utterly underrated watch designer. Yes. Jason Lemon Halios is also, I'm sorry, if Jason, you don't listen, I'm sure. I'm 100% sure you don't listen. 99. But 1%, if you do, I'm sorry, call me, we'll talk. Jason Lemon is a fucking terrible businessman. I think the decisions he makes are mostly by choice. I think that he's comfortable with the way he does business. I don't think that he would change it if he could. Maybe maybe certain aspects. But Jason Lim is a gifted watch designer. Yeah, I think he lives in a world of comfort and he's okay with it. I think he knows. I don't think you're telling him anything he doesn't know, Jason. You know. So let's just say, for instance, let's just say, for instance, a company like Arkin, Kenneth Lamb at Arkin, who made a beautiful, beautiful watch mm -hmm. that struggled to sell. Yeah. I think that he did a lot of engineering and a lot of design. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the quotes on that. Capital D design. And I think he missed. What if that guy takes his vision and goes to a guy like Jason Lim and says, Jason, this is my vision. Help me. And then fucking markets that watch as a Jason Lim designed watch. Uh, this is totally spitballing right now, but it's like a Giorgio. That's right. Yeah. We we <clears throat> need people who know what the fuck they're doing to help the rest of us, right? And I say us. I'm not a micro brand owner, but theoretically, if I were, that's an that's an idea, right? Mm -hmm. I don't need to do all the work myself. I'm an owner. I'm a business guy. I've got a little bit of capital. I've got an idea. I need design right? We need a, we need watch designers. And it's something that we do not have in the world right now. We have galley designs, which mm -hmm. is doing wonderful things at Timex. We've got a very limited set of people doing design work, uh, you, you know, uh, on, on the open market, right? Well, and we see the people who are, who are just flying by the seam of their pants in, in the is brand. It seam of the pants or seat of the pants? I've always thought seat. But pants have both seats and seams. No, I don't know. <laughs> I vote seat. I will concur with you. You're smarter than me, I think. I, but if it's seam, I'm going to feel like a real <clears throat> asshole. Well, you are. Okay, you tell us. Seam or seat? <laughs> you're, you're, you're Who are white knuckle driving it <laughs> through. And, and we see these brands succeed. You know, we see, we see Brew succeed. We see Notice succeed. We see Laurier succeed. And the reason they've succeeded... Is because their design worked. You know, we see 
we there are more micro brands that are flashes in the pan, more that don't fund, more that vanish than 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 don't, right? And the ones that do succeed are because they were able to get that magic sauce of design for long enough to build a following, and then they can afford to have misses. And and I love the guys that notice, but some of their colors are misses. I don't think there's really any other misses from anyone else, but, but some of the colors are noticed. You're just like, oh, who's buying that? But then they sell out. And it's like, well, fuck, I mean, I'm, an, I'm the asshole. <laughs> but it's because we're just, I, I want to see more brands succeed because they're willing to ask for help. I, I'm, I don't want to see brands succeed just because they can continue to eat losses because there's, they have good VC because they've got a wealthy owner because they don't give a shit about building a successful brand. They just want to sell watches, which is cool, but I don't, I don't care about brands selling ugly watches. Yeah. I want to see more cool watches. Yeah, I want so to buy your cool watches. I said I was going to two-prong this one. That's the second part of this. I want to see more cool watches. So I think Arkin was very close and maybe missed in some really subtle ways. I, I have trouble seeing the subtle ways. I think I, I didn't buy one because it wasn't for me, but I fucking loved that watch. I love that watch. I love that watch. Serica 5303 came out this year. Ooh, yeah, dude. I hate the bracelet. God, I fucking hate the bracelet. I don't like the bracelet, but the watch, but the watch head itself yeah. is probably <laughs> one of the top two or three watches that came out this year, in my mind. Concur. Uh, you, you know, it's hard to say that Halios released anything this year because it really didn't. It released things in like 2017 that people saw this year. Yeah. Um, but, God <laughs> <damn>. <laughs> uh, you, you know, Halios everything. You know, what we're seeing is a few, kind of a small amount of really cool watches. I want to see more really interesting watches. Those are the three that came immediately to mind. Don't don't yeah. be mad at me if I didn't name your watch. Um yeah, I want to see more cool watch design, which isn't loud. It's not. Yeah, cool. It's watch not the different. Not it's not. It's so subtle and delicate, and I think that's really the fascination for me. I'm not going to rule out loud though. Loud is okay. Yeah, if you can put some speakers in this bitch, <laughs> I'm. On, you're on to something. I'm not ruling out loud. Like for instance, the Royal Oak or the Nautilus. Not to beat this drum. Those watches were not traditional, but and, and in some respects they were loud. They it's, landed though, yeah. They landed. It was beautiful. We need that. Yeah. We need that. I I may be not so subtly advocating for Jason Lim to stop doing Halios and to start designing watches for other companies and to make money that and way, selling them to people. And, you know, <laughs> I may be selling his designs. Uh, Imagine how many designs he has in his sketchbook. Yeah, you know he's got I, more money in that sketchbook than in, in the brand. I mean, it's like if I'm a micro brand owner, I might go to someone like Jason Lim and be like, "Hey, you're a f you're a, here's a ten percent stake in our industry. <laughs> Let's do this, man. I need a design. I want to pay you. Let's make a fucking watch together. You know, I, I want to see that. Yeah, I want to see more well thought out designs." Hopes and dreams. What do you got? I have to look. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you sent me a lot of shit. I and did. I just babbled oh, for uh, an hour. So hopes and dreams. I want to see a couple companies do some new releases this year that are different in the vein that we've talked about. I want to see a new one from Brew. I, I, I think I even said on air that I was concerned about Brew. 
because everything he'd done to that point was so good that I didn't know how he could maintain his momentum because he works in such a unique spectrum of the watch world. And then he did something new, and it was a banger. So I want to see something new from him. You're excited to see something new, or you're lamenting that he hasn't? I think he's done a lot of new. I'm excited to see another yeah. new thing. I'm excited to see another yeah, yeah. new release. From I'll share. Him. I'll share that. Another Laurier release, and I'm I'm they're partially on the hook. The Hyperion was very cool, mm-hmm. but everyone did a GMT last year, so yeah. they don't get a full release from my. I want to see something. Nah, new. No, I want to see something new from any Laurier credit for that watch. It's a beautiful watch. Oh, but it's it. They get credit, it, but partial. <laughs> Partial credit. You, you guys are... You, we love you guys. We love you guys, but you're only getting partial credit for every new line because <laughs> I want more from you. I want to see Monta step up this year. And I think Monta can retain their dimensions to be able to do a 36 and maintain their bracelet because everything they do is based around that universal bracelet and being able to adapt to Everest straps. I think they can do it. I'm cool with that. And I want to see him do it. I want to see it. I want to see a 36 Monta this year. I want to see it. Those I'm, are, I'm that's a hope. It. That's a hope. And I want to see some some trending down of sizes this year. Shocking. I know. No one saw this you hope. You want more coming. 36. I, want, I don't even care. I want more 38s. I want the 36 to 38 zone. I want to see 37 and a half 38 divers. Like, yep. like, not, like, not, like not fake divers. I want to see 37 and a half divers. Yeah. 150, 200 meters. You can do. It's 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 not. Tool watches. It's totally manageable. And can I can I give my two hot takes for what I think 22 is going to bring it? Hot takes. Bring it. I think 22 is going to be the year of the chronograph in the micro world. I think people are, you're going to see a big utilization of the VK64. And I think we that see. That was like three years ago. No, no, no. But I think we're going to see every micro brand dropping chronographs this year. Love it. And. I think we're going to see a universal adoption of quick release bracelets, which I know is maybe not that hot of a take. It's like a medium take, but if, but I, I think it's a hot enough take because enough people aren't. It needed doing to it. be said. It needed. But to I think be said. I think it's we're going to see it. I you think we're going to see it. I think we're going to see it. I'll I, I'll I'll second. And I, and if I don't, I, and I hope we see it, but I I expect that we will a universal adoption of quick release bracelets. It's just there's not. There's no reason not to. Put it to a vote. How do you get it in there, though, is the real question. <laughs> Cut back. You fucking idiot. Thank you. Hey, I really appreciate you. <laughs> Both of you guys. It's just like, oh, no. I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? <laughs> All right. Enough of watches. Andrew, other things. Mm. Other things. What do you got? I know what you got. I want some more of what you got. Give me what you got. Get- I don't know that that sound is as obvious as you think it is. I think it is. All right. Someone's coming in. So my other thing this week is it's somewhere between a novelty and not. And I think what's fascinating about it is it was, it is a novelty, but it's also serious. My other thing <laughs> is the Lagavulin single malt scotch whiskey. Are we going to say Lagavulin? Lagavulin? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It is an 11-year Nick Offerman edition. So Nick Offerman famously was a Lagavulin, Lagavulin drinker in really the, the his character 
that everyone knows Nick Offerman as from Parks and Rec. <clears throat> a brand ambassador for them. There is a Yuletide log where he just sits and drinks scotch next to the fire. I've traveled the world and sampled many attempts at pleasing nectars. Yeah. So in some way, he's partnered with them in this. And I don't fully understand why. I, I don't know his role in the development. I haven't been able to really suss that out, <laughs> if there even is. Or if they were just like, hey, dude, we'll pay you some money to be the ambassador for this brand. So it's the 11-year finished in Guinness casks. And my wife got it for me for Christmas. And I saw it, and I was like, oh, this is fun. It's going to be pretty okay. Nope. Better. Nope. It's terrific. It drinks just like the 16. It, drink, it is smooth. It's big. It's It drinks better than the 16. Andrew, ah, you I, think it's better than the 16? I, I, I have specifically... I have 16 downstairs. We might side by side afterward. I have specifically meaningfully withheld my opinion until this moment because you poured me a dram of this when we started recording. Yeah. And I had some and I didn't comment. I didn't say you a didn't. word about it. <laughs> this is one of my favorite scotches it's I've ever had. Terrific. It's peaty. It's balanced. So you like... I'm not a scotch taster. You've got, you got a good peaty nose, right? You've got that very <laughs> bright peaty nose it on it. It starts peaty. Mm -hmm. It starts peaty and finishes like milk chocolate creaminess and i have never had a scotch like that never it, the whole way it's creamy it, 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 and you think that's a weird transition like you start with pete and then you no the, i love it i'm not a scotch expert so i don't know what i don't know and maybe people are like oh <laughs> but i in in terms of my ability to enjoy scotch this is like top two or three ever for me I can't believe how good this is. It's killer. It's, and I've really been waiting. I've been waiting. It's fun. One hour and two minutes and seven seconds to say that. It's fun. It's a Nick Offerman edition. She got me one of the books that he wrote uh, to, to sip on by the fire or to read while sipping on this by the fire. It's how much is this? I don't know. It was a Christmas gift. I didn't okay, Well, We need to figure my it guess out. is, is sub 100. It's probably like a, between 60 and 80 being an 11 year. I really want it to be 60. Let me, I'll look at it. Tell me your other thing and I'll interrupt you with the price. <laughs> okay, so I've got another thing. And this is both exactly like other things we've talked about on the show before and also totally different. So I've got a YouTube channel. It's called I Did a Thing. And this is a fellow. What's her name? Uh, I Did a Thing. Mm -hmm. this is a fellow he's an australian guy and he makes youtube videos which are mostly sort of hands videos but also you know like the hands building videos so okay. he's, he's a builder he comes up so he has ideas on the show and he builds a video he says uh i tested your most dangerous video ideas can i jump rope fast enough to stop the rain uh hmm. I made the world's most powerful hammer. These sound like really boring titles. And, and, and when I say boring, not because those things are boring, but because I've seen a hundred YouTube channels exactly like this. If you're looking at the titles or even at the titles, you might think, well, I don't know. This is kind of funny. 
I implore you, I implore you to watch any one of these videos. I can't remember which one it was, but about a month ago, I sent you guys a video and said, this is maybe the greatest YouTube video of, of all time. Uh, I can't remember which one it is because at this point I've watched, I think, all of his videos and I feel that way about all of them. But so I just I just read you some titles and those are like meh, like, uh, OK, I've seen that video. However, we've also got we used an illegal COVID test from Wish. I made a hot tub for Australian birds. <laughs> Where did he put it? world's largest Beyblade destroys a house. This evil man picks up girls from poor countries. That's a weird video, actually. Don't watch that uh, Ranking the weird Aussie animals in my yard. These videos are fucking hilarious. He's both ridiculous. It's all totally tongue-in-cheek and also real. So the one I watched today, I watched it with the kids because I thought it would be appropriate. But it was... Turns out it wasn't. No, <laughs> it was. Uh, but it's the I Tested Your Most Dangerous Video Ideas, in which he orders an oversized belt, sand belt, from a fellow who makes custom-sized sand belts and affixes it to a treadmill and then runs on said treadmill uh, and grinds most of a guitar away on the treadmill. Uh, and other dangerous <laughs> ideas, including a sodium hydroxide, I think, activated heat package that heats up your hot dog anyway totally dangerous sounds like an mre <laughs> yes ex yes yes ridiculous totally non-usable information right unlike most of the youtube channels that do this stuff the information that he provides in his videos is completely impractical non-functional i knew i shouldn't do that why are you doing it anyway <laughs> yes You're, you don't have to sell me on not doing it also he never wears shoes because why would you in australia he never wears shoes in his videos which i think is a shtick um he always wears the same apron that's anyway hilarious wear pants under his apron i think mo maybe most of the time i don't know it's hilarious so I did a thing. I sent you the link, so it'll be in the show notes. You did. I didn't fully understand it, and I watched some videos. <laughs> I still didn't understand. I was like, why did you send me this? You will not understand it. It's hilarious and amazing. And if you don't like it, I hate you. And if you do like it, I love you. If and you, that's you're it. You're probably going to like it. You listen to us. Yeah. If you listen to us and you think this is a reasonable thing to spend your time doing, I think you might like this as well. Yeah. 80 to 100 bucks, depending <laughs> on the state you're in. My my scotch thing. Le Gavlin. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. It's too it's too much for me to have it be a casual drinker, but it is not so much that I couldn't have it for an occasional drinker. I yeah, don't I don't think I'd I don't think I'd want this as a casual drinker. God, I don't it's know. It's a little man. bit big for a casual drinker. Like monkey shoulder is kind of my like I'm gonna have some scotch tonight. Monkey shoulder is cheap, terrible, awesome goodness yeah or like johnny black that's like a, I, I don't feel bad about pouring three fingers of it and pouring some out because i'm too drunk. johnny black is two times the scotch monkey shoulder is just saying you're incorrect <laughs> i like monkey shoulder i put monkey shoulder in the same world as famous grouse i thought you were gonna say in coke i was like god i fucking hate you <laughs> <laughs> no famous grouse i famous it's, grouse monkey shoulder i put them in the same some people say monkey shoulder is way better and it might be it is way better it's objectively way better i don't know if that's true no, it's objectively way better. 
it's not a subject it, like your opinion it can be different that's your subjective opinion but you're you're factually incorrect i i disagree with you okay and we're going to be okay the, this wall is blue it's not blue andrew what else do you got today i'm out of things man isn't that the best time of day when we don't have anything else to talk about yeah and now we're going to drink a bunch of Heat Miser Winter Ale as well as... I've had two of my favorite drinks that I've had all year tonight. Both You're welcome. purchased by you. Thank you, Andrew. You're welcome. Uh, hey, you guys. Thanks for joining us for this last episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast of the, the year 2021. Ending 2021. You can, if you'd like, check us out on Instagram at 40 and 20 at Watch Clicker. Those are our, those are our Instagram pages. You can also check us out on our webpage, and you should. It's watchclicker.com. We do articles and reviews, really a lot of good stuff. And you should just go there. If you want to support Watch Clicker and 40 and 20, we hope you do. You can do so at watchclicker. Excuse me, that's wrong. Patreon.com slash 40 and 20. That's how we, uh, honestly, you guys, that's how we afford all of our equipment, software, hosting and it's a lot of money it's increasingly a lot of money which always blows my mind and we're able to do it because you guys do occasionally say hey i want to support you so come on come on come join in you can get on the discord page and don't forget to tune back in next thursday for another hour of watches food drinks life and other things we like bye-bye